Today we are starting a new series we have walked through in the, uh, in the previous uh, months. We have walked through Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and uh, we have walked through it and we have talked about being a missional disciple. Well, now we're going to look at one of our Old Testament prophets in the name of Elijah. And Elijah, boy, he's got a lot going on. He just appears, and we don't know much about him, and he just, boom, on the scene is calling folks out. And, you know, we don't really like folks to just show up and start calling us out on stuff, do we? No, we don't really like that, especially when you're supposed to be a, a, a Christian You're supposed to be leading in a good, godly way, but yet you're doing things that are not right, and someone steps up out of nowhere. They say, I've got a word from the Lord, and uh, it's just really uh, frustrating, you know? Well, here is, of course, if if you really know that you're doing something that's against the Lord, it shouldn't be a big deal because you need somebody like that. You need accountability like that. But here, we find ourselves looking at Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, looking at verses 1 through 7. And I've entitled this, What We See. And a lot of times, we see things that, uh, we see things differently than how the Lord sees things. We do. You know, the Bible tells us that our ways are not His ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we don't see things the way God sees things. But before we really just jump off into Elijah in chapter 17, we kind of need to know why Elijah jumps up and starts saying what he says, okay? So if you go back just a little bit into chapter 16, I'm going to start there. That's not really the sermon, but you've got to have context to understand why things happen, when they happen, and how they happen. So if you look there in chapter 16, beginning in verse 29, and I'm just going to kind of read this as the introduction, and then explain the people that are going to be uh, vital to our story in the coming weeks, and in the account that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the king of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of, Sid- of the Sidonians. And Ahab went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then Ahab set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's, you got to do a lot of bad. You know, he's provoked the anger of the Lord more than any other king before him. So he's, he's, he's doing some pretty goofy things. In, in his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. Uh, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, 
which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay? And then we find ourselves in a 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom before I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except in my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, came to Elijah, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And that's the first ever account of DoorDash or Uber. So the Lord was blessing him there by bringing him that meat and that bread. And I'll get into more detail in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Let's pray, church. Father God, we thank you for how good you are to us. And Lord, all through the account as we look through the life of Elijah, he is used as a providential individual on your behalf. Lord, to provide for those in need. God, at this time, it was a nation in need of, a go of godly leadership. And so what did they need? They needed somebody to draw their attention back to you. And God, so we're going to look at this text today. God, I pray that you'll help us as we look at this word, that what we see may not always be what you have intended for us. So God, help us to know you well enough to know that you've got something greater in store than what we physically see. God, you're preparing for something greater further down the road. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray if there's one here today that is lost or that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today be the day that salvation come to their life and their heart. God, if someone needs to repent, that they'll do that. Or if they need to join this church, Lord, I pray, God, that you'll just work in hearts and lives today. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this, many people will recognize this as when Elijah proclaims a drought. I believe there's a lot to this. Yes, he does proclaim a drought. But that's like verse 1. That's like the, the opening part is where he proclaims the drought. But let's look at the introduction. Let's look at setting the stage of what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. We understand Elijah is called upon for this responsibility. We look back into this previous chapter we just saw. And we see that Asa is the king of Judah. But yet Ahab is now named the king of Israel. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Asa, he doesn't really add a whole lot to our story. He doesn't add a whole lot to our account in the coming weeks, nor today. But I want to tell you, Ahab does. Ahab is a puppet. I almost named this the prophet, the puppet, and the power. Because we, we could see that there is the prophet in Elijah. There is the puppet, who is Ahab. He's being used basically by his wife Jezebel. We'll learn more about her in just a moment. And then there's the power of God. And I said, well, you know what? I'm, as I studied through it, I retitled it and called it What We See. Because sometimes what we see is not what God sees. 
And where we see something, God's not seeing the same thing. So we're going to look at that in just a moment. I'll, I'll, I'll be more descriptive of that point here in just a moment. But we find Ahab. We saw Asa, and then he talks about Ahab, and they talk about him uh, in very negative, in a very negative way. Why is that? Because Ahab, um, he reigned in Samaria for 22 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's what it says in verse 30. It goes on and tells us later in that scripture that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. You got to be a pretty bad fellow to do that. You got to be doing some things wrong. Well, what did he do? He did four specific acts which are listed out here at the end of chapter 16 as to why we have the account of Elijah coming to talk to him. The four things he did. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and uh, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel of the Sidonians. He married outside of his faith. The Bible tells us, do not be unequally yoked. We should not be in a relationship with people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. That's not talking about culture or color or anything of that nature. What it's talking about is we should not be unequally yoked in who we marry. Do not marry someone who does not believe in the Lord God of Israel, who does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're not missional dating. We're missional disciples. Okay? I've told teenagers this for years. Missional dating does not work. We are missional disciples, not missional dating. Don't go out and try to find the best-looking guy or the best-looking girl and say, oh, I want to date them. Oh, they're not believers? Oh, I can make them become a believer. Oh, no, you can't. Only God can do that. Only thing you're going to do is be like treading water. You better be careful. You better be careful. It's a dangerous place to be. Ahab steps off and marries Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel of the Sidonians. And this is one of the four specific acts that the Lord holds against him. Ahab went to, went to serve Baal and worshipped him. He intentionally went to serve the fertility god of the Canaanites and led the nation to follow his idolatry. That's another thing Ahab did. He went to serve Baal. He didn't go to serve God. He didn't make Jezebel adjust as him being the leader of the home to say, look, you've got to follow after my ways. Solomon did the same mistakes of many of his wives that he had. He didn't say, I'm a follower of the one true God. You can bring in all your false gods and worship as you want, and we're going to integrate our nation with every kind of polytheistic false religion and faith that there is. And he did put his foot down, and it was messed up Israel for a long time. That's what happens when you allow those things, when you go missional dating instead of being a missional disciple. Also, what else did, did Ahab do? He erected an altar for Baal in the temple he built in Samaria. He built a temple for Baal, and he went to worship there, and then he built an altar in there to Baal. I'm telling you, Ahab was provoking the Lord to anger. And he's the king of Israel. The king of Israel, where there's the monotheistic one true God. And he says, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then he also made the Asherah. I mean, he's just all about, he's just like, well, if I'm just going to do one God, I might as well do all the other fake gods around here. You know, he's like, I already stepped off in it. Might as well go ahead and do the rest. That's, and let me tell you, that's, that's not the way we observe sin, okay? If you make one mistake, don't think it's okay to make two or three. Repent and come back to the Lord. Repent and come back to the Lord. 
It's what we've got to do. But Ahab, no, he didn't do any repenting at this point. He's just going along, and his wife's just standing right behind him, pushing him right along. Go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> you know. She's just telling him what to do. He's just a puppet. While she thought she had the power, and, and, you know, I'm telling you, I really struggled with this sermon title this week because I thought that was going to be a pretty good one. But sticking with this one. And then we have Jezebel. She's the queen to Ahab, the power behind the throne, as one commentator put it. And we'll find out in a couple of weeks how much power she has. She, she calls out Elijah after he calls out, after he calls upon God. She calls on him and he runs. Anyway, today, and then we've got Elijah. He's the primary person in this account. And he's going to be the primary person in all the accounts that we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. Elijah's name means the Lord Jehovah is my God. And this is an apt name for a man who called the people back to their worship of Jehovah. He, we also learn that Elijah is from Gilead. And Gilead is east of the Jordan River across the Jezreel Valley. The prophet Elijah is an important figure in the New Testament, as a matter of fact. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, it tells us in Luke 1, 17. And some of the people even thought he was the promised Elijah. And we see that in John 1, 21, uh, Matthew 17, 10 through 13. Elijah was with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see that in Matthew 17, 3. And some students believe that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses described in Revelation 11, 1 through 14. Elijah wasn't a polished preacher like Jeremiah and Isaiah, but was more of a rough-hewn reformer who challenged the people to abandon their idols and return to the Lord. He was a courageous man who confronted Ahab personally, face-to-face, and rebuked his sin. And he also challenged the priests of Baal to a public contest. He was not only a worker of miracles, but he also experienced miracles in his own life. This is who Elijah is and was. Elijah is a great guy. And like I said, and as that commentator said, he was a rough-hewn reformer. He wasn't a polished preacher like Jeremiah and Isaiah. What we see, what we see as we've read this text, as we look at this, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, he comes straight up and says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So where we may see destruction, we've seen Ahab just destroying the nation of Israel. We see this, and Elijah saw this. He saw his people. He saw the Lord's people being led into idolatry. And where we see, where we may see destruction, God is strengthening us for confrontation. God is strengthening us for confrontation. And we see that here in this text. Elijah says to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives... This phrase is to reveal to Ahab that Elijah's God is not dead. He's not dead. And he's still pronouncing and proclaiming his authority and power. He says, he says as the Lord God of Israel lives. And this is also going to reveal later on that your God of Baal, your God of Asherah, who supposedly had power over the land, over the natural elements, ain't got no power has no power whatsoever. 
So Elijah is making it quite clear, just as we should today, that there is no God living except the God of Israel. There is no God living except the God of Israel. And just as Elijah is standing before Ahab in authority and without fear, the God of Israel stands before any God of the earth and, fear, and uh, without fear makes his pronoun uh, pronouncements. He stands before any God that we have and God says, this is it. And has no fear. None whatsoever. And then Elijah goes on to say, he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, and before whom I stand. Elijah makes it clear to Ahab that his allegiance is to the God of Israel. And his accountability is to him and not to Ahab. He says, you might be the king of Israel, but I, I don't bow down to a king. I bow down to the Lord of Lords. I bow down to the one true God of Israel. That's who I bow down to. And my allegiance is to him. And right now, you are not following him. You are not following after God. If you were, I would be a whole lot more respectful to you. But regardless, if God calls the prophet to say what he's supposed to say, the prophet is to say what he's supposed to say. Regardless of whether his respect is for that individual or not. But he tells him, I'm not accountable to you. Our approval and accountability is not to man, especially God dishonoring men, but to our God. Our words are witnesses to whom we represent. And these words that Elijah was about to make known were not his alone, but come from the God of Israel. And we too, just as Elijah, should speak the word of the Lord boldly before those who desecrate the Lord's name and his covenants. We need to be bold in what we say. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead stands before Ahab and tells him, There shall not be dew nor rain these years. Now listen, this is a prophecy of God from, uh, this is a prophecy from God through Elijah to punish Ahab and all those who followed their earthly king into idolatry. Now they had, this pronouncement was in direct opposition to the imaginary power of Baal. Baal thought he had some power. He was considered the storm god. And already the, the drought had lain on the land for six months already. Now the reason for this, for this drought was to, be, was to reveal to Israel their apostate leadership. And the message was clear. Israel had broken the pledge of its covenantal relationship with God and it's spelled out from Deuteronomy 11 and 28. He says, you're, you're going away from everything we've told you to do. You're, you're leading the people. Not only Ahab as king, you're leading people to Baal worship and you built a temple to Baal. You built an altar to Baal. You married a daughter of, of, of Ethbaal, which is of the uh, Sidonians. You've done all these things. Listen, I'm going to bring a drought on this land. And you're going to see that your dependence is not on what your nation can do, but what, on your God, what your God can do. And if you don't turn from it, it's going to be even longer than this. God, God is no respecter of man. God's no respecter of man. If you were in Sunday school this morning and you read about Nebuchadnezzar, and you saw where uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a great guy. I mean, he had a lot of power and authority. But, you know, the Lord made that pronouncement through the dream, and Daniel revealed it to him. And he said, you know what? If, if you don't repent, you're going to be living out in the woods like a wild animal. And so what do you do? He did, uh, you know, it's like I used this illustration before when I used it in my class. You know, if you see blue lights behind you going down the interstate, oh, you slow it down. 
They might pass by you or go on. They might be looking for somebody else. Well, then for the next day, maybe for the rest of that ride, or maybe the next day or the next couple of days, you're riding at the speed limit. Well, about a week later, you're riding about five miles over the speed limit. About two weeks, three weeks later, a month later, you're going about 10, 15 miles over the speed limit, thinking no big deal. Until you see the blue lights again, then they pull you over. Right? Yeah, that's what we do. Well, here, God has given a dream to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm getting off my, my text here, going to Sunday school. He's given this, this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel explains it to him. So for 12 months, God is patient with him. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets prideful. And he walks out there and says, look at everything I have. My glory, my majesty, my residence. From here to there, it's all mine. And God says, before the words even finish out of his mouth, he says, the prophecy is fulfilled. The prophecy is fulfilled. And he goes out in the field, and for seven seasons, he's out there wandering around in the grass, eating grass. His hair gets long like a feather. He's combing his hair with his fingernails because he don't need a comb because his fingernails have gotten so long. You know what? The Lord calls upon those that rebuke in pride the goodness and the graciousness of God. Nebuchadnezzar had all that kingdom. All he had to say was, look how amazing God was to bless me to lead this nation. That's all he had to say. But he wasn't going to give the glory and the praise to the one true God because he was being prideful. Ahab, in his pride, thought that he could do whatever he very well pleased and lead the nation however he wanted to please it. However it, wanted to, however it pleased him, excuse me. But yet, no. God says, I'm bringing a drought. For Nebuchadnezzar, I sent him out in the woods. Put some dew on his back, let him live out there for a while. Got all hairy. Didn't take care of himself or nothing like that. But for, for Ahab, he's fixing to get it. He's fixing to get it. Because in his pride, he chose to do whatever he wanted to do. Much like Samson. I mean, we can go back and we can look back at all these guys, man. I mean, and, and, I, and I was talking about it in Sunday school. It's so easy for someone in leadership to let pride sneak into their heart, slip into their heart and say, look at what I've done. Look, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Listen, if anything good happens in this church, it's by the grace of God. It's for the glory of God, and it's for the expansion of God's kingdom. It ain't going to be one person. It ain't me. It ain't Donald. It ain't the deacons. It's, a, it's an effort underneath the leadership, guidance, and goodness of God alone. One man cannot do that. And when one man starts getting that cocky and that prideful, it's just a matter of time before the fall comes. It's just a matter of time. Well, let me finish this part up. He says, accept it, my word. Elijah says, I am going to be the vessel by which you get your news. You're not going to get this news by anybody else. This drought's not going away. You're not going to have some false prophet come in here and proclaim some nonsense. You're not going to go back. It's not going to be like Pharaoh in Egypt who brought in his own magicians and, and did some of the same type, uh, what they call tricks, as Moses did. It ain't going to be like that. It's only by my word because I'm the only one that God's communicating with to you. So you better get right through me with the Lord. <laughs> right? You better, come, you better get right with the Lord through me. It's only through my word, Elijah stating that, he, that it will come from his mouth, but it's not coming from his authority. Under the leadership and guidance of God the Father, the Lord God of Israel, was how Elijah was speaking. And where we may see 
where we may see destruction. God is strengthening us for a confrontation. How many of you have ever, you've ever had to confront somebody about something? Well, that's hard to do, ain't it? It's hard to confront somebody about something. They've done something wrong to you or they're just doing something wrong and you've got to confront them about it. There's a lot of destruction in their past, a lot of destruction around you, and you've got to confront them. Listen, the Lord's preparing you for that. And he's, he's speaking into your life and he's telling you, and listen, don't you say what you want to say. You say what the Lord tells you to say. You say what the Lord tells you to say. Just as I, I pointed out, when Elijah came before Ahab, Elijah didn't say exactly what, Ahab, what, what Elijah wanted to say. He said, as the Lord God of Israel lives, to whom I am accountable, before whom I stand, listen, this is, this is, this is all from him. This ain't of me. I'm not going to give you my opinion, Elijah's saying. I'm giving you the word of God. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now he's saying, now I am the vessel which is being used. But this is not me. So don't be mad at me now. Only person you got to be mad at is yourself. Don't be mad at God. God's given you very clear instruction. You can go back through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all these standards, Ahab. You know the rules, but yet you've chosen to break them. And sometimes God, when we see destruction, God is preparing us for confrontation. Confrontation is not always bad either. The word confrontation's got a bad rap. You know it? Sometimes you confront somebody out of love. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they're confronting. That, that means they want to fight. They want to argue. You know, a lot of times you confront because you really want to set things straight. You want to get things good. I'm not really here to fight or fuss. I'm just here to tell you. I'm here to confront you with the word of God. This is what it says. And that's hard. Because in the midst of that, we have our own emotions, Right? Oh, we want to say what we feel. Like I talked about Wednesday night, sometimes we let our emotions control our decisions. We need to be cautious of that. We need to let the Lord control our decisions. And when our emotions feel like they're getting out of hand, pray. Compose yourself. And determine what the Lord would have you say in that situation. And I believe that's where we find Elijah. Praying and composing himself so that he may speak to the king. Now, this, this isn't just like, you know, lay person down the street, you know, regular guy you work with. This is the man, the king of Israel. It's a big deal. The second point I want to make looking at verses 2 through 4 is, is what we see or, or where we may see evasion of a situation. Someone avoiding a situation. God is equipping for a greater mission. He's equipping us for a greater mission. Look there in verses 2 through 4. Again, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Where we see, where we may see evasion of a situation, God is equipping for a greater mission. Here it is, the first, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he says, hey, go hide. You may say, well, I need to handle this situation. No, 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 you've done what you need to say. You've said what you need to say. Now I'm going to prepare you for what you're going to do next. Don't worry about saying anything more than what you've already said. 
You do what I tell you to do. Just like I told you to speak to that individual, or like the Lord told Elijah, I want you to speak to Ahab. You've done what I've told you to do. Now you continue to do. Our obedience is a whole lot more important than our sacrifice. So he says, go and hide by the brook Cherith. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah again after making the pronouncement about the drought. You know, God will not leave us directionless. God will not leave us directionless. As long as we are desiring his will for our lives and the betterment of others through Christ, he will guide us to places that make us trust him more. That's what he will do. He says, get away from here. And he doesn't, he doesn't leave him directionless. He says, get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. He gives him very clear direction as to where he wants him to go. God will give us very clear direction as to where he wants us to go. And he's not telling us to hide because to be fearful. Elijah was not running out of his own fear. He was running out of his own obedience for the Lord. Sometimes the Lord wants us to go out of obedience for him away from a situation. And we just want to sit there and we want to fight because that's just what we want to do. You know, they talk about the fight or flight situation here. Well, this is neither one of those. This is obedience. Now, sometimes in obedience, the Lord may say fight. Sometimes in obedience, he may say flight. But this is a, an occurrence of obedience. And as we see this, God is direct, uh, directing Elijah to go into hiding, not Elijah running by his own fear. Many times, we view hiding as a negative action. But God is going to use this time to prove his faithfulness to Elijah and provide for him. Sometimes when God leads us away, when he gives us, because like I said, he's not going to leave us directionless. So when he leads us in that direction to go, he's like, wherever I lead you, I'm going to take care of you there. When he told, when he told the uh, disciples, when Jesus told the disciples, he said, let's get in this boat and go to the other side. He didn't say, there's going to be a storm to arise on this lake and you're going to be scared to death and I'm going to take a nap. He didn't say that, did he? He said, we're going to the other side. He knew they were going to get there. But through the midst of it, they had to go through the storm. We've got to be obedient to do what God's called us to do. God's going to provide. The Lord's going to provide. It may be hard. It may be a storm. You may get tossed about a good bit. And you may even become fearful of your life. But the Lord says, I told you we're going to the other side. We're going to get there. He's not going to leave us directionless. The Lord told Elijah, get away from here. And in sending Elijah away, God withdrew his prophet from his land and people to leave them isolated from his word and blessings. The absence of the prophet confirmed and intensified the judgment on Ahab and Israel. See, the only way that they were going to get out of this drought was by the word of the Lord. Elijah has said that. The only way it's going to come is by my mouth. But now the Lord has removed him from Ahab and the people. So how, how scary would that be for that king? We're going to be in a drought. I can't even find Ahab. I mean, I can't even find Elijah. They're looking for him. They, they start looking for him. They don't know where he's at. But the Lord knows where he's at. The Lord knows where you're at. The Lord knows what you need. The Lord knows how to provide for every need that you have. It might not be every want. But he knows how to provide for every need. And we see that here in, this, in just a few moments. The Lord sends him out to, to hide, to get away, to turn eastward, to go by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, which that word Cherith means to cut off or cut down. 
And this is where the Lord was bringing Elijah as his hiding place for a while. And in placing Elijah here for a time of preparation, he is revealing how in the coming confrontations, he will not leave Elijah alone to any of his means. He's not going to leave him alone. God provides for us. And God places us in situations where he says, you know, I'm going to take care of you. And sometimes the Lord has to cut things away. He has to cut them away from us and cut us away from those things to prepare us for the next move that he has for us, that the Lord has for our lives. God was preparing Elijah. What could the Lord be preparing you for in your next move in life? What could he be preparing you for? What is Maybe he's got you set, not to the side not in use, but set to the side so he may prepare you for what you're going to have to do next. But he's still supplying for your needs. He's still meeting your needs. He's still a good God who loves his. He loves his own, and he supplies for his own. Sometimes it's in some very unusual ways. So where we may see an evasion of a situation where, you know, it says that Elijah went away and hid. But he hid by obedience to the word of God. But where we may see evasion of a situation, God is equipping for a greater mission. Look there in the last few verses, verses 5 through 7. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He obeyed him. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Look at that last verse. And it happened after a while the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Where we may see desperation, God is preparing a new destination. Where we may see desperation, God is is preparing a new destination. When we look at the first set of verses there in verse 5, he says, So he went and did according to the word. And God provided the ravens to give him meat and bread in the morning, and meat and bread in the evening. And he got his water from the brook chair. Like I said, that's the first ever account of a DoorDash or an Uber. God just supplying it right there on the spot. But God used the natural to show off his supernatural power he says go over there i'm going to send some ravens to bring you food and the water that you need that will be good enough for you will be supplied by the brook all these natural ways god supplies for them he was also showing his power over the weakness of baal you know they thought baal had natural power had power over the land he's a fertility guy god said look go over there God, Baal ain't got any power compared to me. I'm going to tell ravens, birds of the air. Matter of fact, the, the ravens in the brook supplies for his need. The ravens brought the food for months. For months. Could you imagine that? And it was, it was at morning and even with regularity. The irregularity of God using what was considered by Levitical law as an unclean and ravenous bird was yet another way of God providing through the most unusual means to meet Elijah's needs. In Levitical law, the raven was a filthy, nasty bird. But God says, you know what? I could take the filthy, nasty and still bless you with it. 
Because what you need, you might not need the bird per se, but you need what the bird can bring. And the bird can bring meat and bread. Meat and bread. I mean, does that not blow your mind? You just think about that. Oh, here's, here's a T-bone. Here's a, here's a sirloin. And then here's, here's a loaf of bread from a bird. And there's some water. Man, that sounds like eating at Logan's or eating at Outback or something like that. You know what I mean? Wow, Lord, send me out by the brook Cherith, you know? I mean, I wouldn't mind that. But uh, the Lord takes care of him. The Lord takes care of him. And the Lord will take care of you and me when we live in obedience to the will of God. It might not be quite that supernatural, but it could be. It could be. I want to tell you about something, how God provides. Um, this past week, uh, one of the young men that uh, was a part of my youth group at Farmstead. You may have saw it on Facebook. His name is Jackson Kelly. And uh, this young man, great young man, great family. I love him, love every one of them. Jackson had worked out. He'd come home. He was home for about 30 minutes. His sister, Caitlin, noticed something was wrong with him. He went into cardiac arrest. I don't even know if Jackson's 18 yet. Is he 18 yet? He is 18? All right. Young man. Played football all season for Curry. Goes into cardiac arrest. His dad does CPR on him. How did he know how to do CPR? Because Caitlin, their daughter, had just been certified through the school in CPR. Wouldn't have known what to do. And Jackson wouldn't be here today. They rushed him to UAB. He had a cardiac MRI the next day on, thurs, uh, on Friday or Thursday. Thursday, they put, a, they put an internal defibrillator into him, and he's back home today. You talk about God supplying things at the right times? If that sister had not taken that CPR training, that young man would be here. Guys, God knows how to supply at just the right time and in just the right way. The doctor said for, for Jackson, they said that the way that happened, that's not one of those things that has any kind of, there's no precursor, there's, there's no symptoms. It just happens. And you got about five minutes as to whether or not life will continue or not. And they were able to do that. Man, I'm telling you, whoo! It's awesome how God supplies things. Put things in, I mean, it, I don't know. I can't even explain. I'm, I'm just blown away. But that's what God did with Elijah. He took him out and supplied for him. Gave him what he needed at the moment he needed it. The record goes on to say that after a while, it says that there in, um, uh, in verse 7, and it happened that after a while, we don't know how long this time frame was. Many speculate that this whole interaction of two and a half chapters, you know, this latter part of verse 16, 17, and 18, and I believe we'll go into, uh, yeah, we'll go into, uh, actually 17, 18, 19, it's three and a half chapters, is about three years. But God met Elijah's needs through adverse and strange ways so he could continue to be used by God to bring God's will and his provision to many other people. That's what God did. He, he used the ravens, he used the brook, and he does this through adverse and strange ways 
to continue so that Elijah could continue to be used by God to bring God's will and his provision to many other people. God may be meeting your needs so that you may continue in the work of the kingdom to bring about God's will and his provision to many other people. As we know in the coming weeks, we'll see where Elijah goes into the town and he finds the widow who's about to die. She's like, me and my son's going to eat this bread and die. And he's like, well, hold up. If you just fix me some cakes, we'll be all good. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to preach that today. But the provision. So God provides for Elijah because Elijah's about to be the instrument for which will be provision for other people. God might be providing for you now. He's brought you through a situation, a hardship, a confrontation, if you will, so that you may have an experience to be able to have faith in God and trust Him when you move into these next times where God wants to provide for somebody else and you get to be the vessel of goodness to others. After this time of supply by the ravens in the brook, the drought caught up to this brook and it dried up. And for many of us, we may lose hope. We may begin to doubt God. But God has revealed his faithfulness to us in the seclusion and in the supplying of our needs. If God dries up our supply, it's not because he is finished with us, and it's definitely not because he's lacking in supplies, right? It may just be God is finished with us in that location. It may just be that God's finished with us in that location. Where we may see desperation, God is preparing us for a new destination. Just around the corner lies an individual with a need. And because we know the one who can meet it, God carries us on to our next destination. Don't go into desperation. Go on to God's next destination for you.